0: So good to see you guys. Sometimes I think I take it for granted that we get to g- gather every Sunday, but really it's a blessing to interact, to see, to connect, and so so much happens more than we I think recognize um, each week. Um, today represents the last message in the series engaging the cities of the rtp which i'm a little bit sad um but it's okay next week we'll start a new series and the book of james so we'll walk through that toward christmas Um, next sunday is and taylor's last sunday here and so they're over there Um, we will recognize them and pray them off in a good way i recognize taylor has a lot of stuff on facebook that she's trying out so if you want to buy stuff and just bless them um, buy their stuff and remember them in that way so there's a little plug to buy stuff off taylor facebook site is that okay all right um, seriously that's one way to remember people as they go off you, you see their belongings and you're blessed by them also you can remember them in prayer in those kind of ways i had a friend who was a missionary and everything they sold if it was for a buck they promised to give a buck every month if it was 10 bucks they're gonna give 10 bucks for every month i thought this was a cool way of transitioning their stuff into the mission world, so there's that. Um, today's keyword for everyone is city or cities. So if you want to take notes, that's a keyword that I'll say probably a lot today. Um, we also, Phoebe and Paulus, we also have business cards now or invitation cards. We want there's boxes right here. We want to to go ahead and take like you know twenty or thirty. Days. And as you go to a drive through drive-through, you can get one out. You eat at a restaurant, you get one out. The Amazon person comes, <laughs> you get one out. But just don't give it, you can give them with, uh, you know, an extra buck. Yeah, it just let the whole boxes go through on both sides. And so... Um, that's what these are. You're going to say, Pastor Gary, I'm going to scan this, and the QR code don't work. It worked at one time, so I just need to talk to them and fix it. But I also wrote out the whole website address. So it, at least the website works. And I think you know, I just want to thank you for those who have been working on the website. It's, it's definitely gotten a lot better, a lot of good information on there. And the music team, definitely want to shout out to you guys. We appreciate you guys. Every week, you guys uh, work hard to, to sing uh, much um just really sing of our lord um in in song form so i'm just thankful um what else Yeah, I think as you guys eat and interact with the city, give these cards out. Um, And then when you run out, just get some more. Um, But, you know, when you go to eat out in different places, meet owners, supervisors, bless your waiters, waitresses as well. You never know. There's been people that have come to our church and said, yeah, we found your business card. We found your flyer. And they've showed up. So you never know how the Lord would work. Um, Literally this week, I was at Costco and i had a strange interaction with somebody we started talking about what each other does and it led to an opportunity to share christ and invite a person to church this past week and in the week before that i'll share a story in, this, in the message where i was literally being baked in the sun but again just standing in line allowed for an opportunity to just sh- say hello to your neighbor and opened up for more conversation so without further ado we're going to jump in um we're like where's the announcements yeah, they're at the end now, so we reshuffle them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that is living and active. We thank you, really, it's a love letter for every one of us um, to know your will, to know your love, to know your redemptive plan for a sinful man. And so we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us personally, corporately, as families, as couples, speak to us in such a way that we hear our, our Father's heart toward us. And so, Lord, we pray toward this end, Lord, that we would be satisfied in, in you um, as you work in us to glorify you and display you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You don't hear from Jeremiah much, but we are in the cl- a little clip of Jeremiah. Um, around uh, 600 B.C., the prophet Jeremiah told of many <clears throat> Israelites that were forcefully carried off into Babylon, and Jerusalem was destroyed. Jeremiah tells the soon-to-be exiles that Yahweh works in such a way that he's going to unfold gradually through multiple generations. And so these exiles, these Israelites, were forced out of their home, Jerusalem, they've been exiled into Babylon. So they're in a foreign land, um, and they're going to be there not just a day or a few weeks or a few months. They're going to be there 70 years. For most, that's their lifetime. And, and so the Lord God, this is in one sense a form of discipline and punishment, but he's also, the Lord's going to be gracious and He instruct these exiles, God's people, the Israelites, how to live with a long term mentality, I understand long term is difficult for us these days, really, as, as Americans, everything is rigged to the short right now. and when I, growing up, it was like, "Man, I own a microwave, <laughs> and that was fast. Um, then we had instant a lot of stuff oatmeal instant noodles everything is this quick and that's just how our our whole life functions now and i grew up on the crock pot and that was six to eight to 12 hours of cooking today we have instant and it's fast and everything's quick and so the, the way we've been trained and wired as americans doesn't really help us very well in the way that normal life works And so I want to stretch this out and think in terms of generations, and think in terms of 70-year windows uh, of time frames. And so I think many times when we're sick, we're like, man, isn't this going to be over in a day or two? And if we get like COVID, man, can this be over really fast? Hopefully it's a cold and it's not going to take a week or two. And so... (sighs) What Jeremiah is telling his people is that, man, as you're in Babylon, as you're exiled, we're talking about 70 years, essentially most people's lifetime. And so he's basically saying, hey, while you're here in exile, I want you to have the right mindset as you're in exile. I want you to have a marathon mentality, a long-term mentality over generations. And so as Jeremiah shared this, I can't help but to say, and think. This reminds me a little bit of Paul's mentality toward ministry, too. Um, <clears throat> multiple generations. Um, it's not, we're not talking about a sprint as we're running the Christian life. We're talking about a marathon. And sometimes this marathon hits roadblocks. And a lot of it, I think, is our own selfish, selfish expectation and not resting in God's expectations. So I've learned, I guess many years ago, to literally accept what God wants for your life. And you really can't change what God wants. And so just whatever God's will is what I accept. And so we don't know what those bumps and turns will look like, but they'll be there in this broken world. But he wants us to have a long-term mentality, a long-term perspective toward mission, and long-term perspective for these uh, (coughs) exiles in Babylon. And for us today, if we were to translate the same idea... Paul says in Second Timothy two two, as Paul describes what does it look like to what does it look like to make disciples and plant churches in this relay race perspective. He says this, and what do you and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who be able to teach others also. Um, If you're around me, I'll probably hit this verse, I don't know, at least five or six times in the course of a year, but you see multiple generations of ministry here, from Paul to Jesus, from Jesus to Paul, from Paul to Timothy, from Timothy to many witnesses who also commit to faithful men that will also teach others. You see, a a long-term, multi-generational perspectives. So as you... uh, As you hear Paul's words, as you hear Jeremiah's words, um, for Paul, he's calling Timothy to minister well in the book of Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus. Paul, now Jeremiah here is, is instructing very specifically these Israelite exiles how to be fruitful, how to live well, in Babylon. And so there's like this paradoxical living. Um, and so basically, I'm asking this question what does it mean to be a city, be a church in, this, in the cities that God has placed us? How do you be a city within the city? If I were to use Tim Keller's language, what does that look like in very tangible? Ways and over and over, you might be saying, Gary, why, why are we talking about this so long? Why is this series long? I really feel like we're a church that's a year, year and a half old, um, even though we're hitting 33 months because there's so much change. And so I'm literally hammering and trying to lay down um, vision and mission-related topics. So it's it's just super clear why Rooted Church is. Here, not—I don't necessarily mean at this building, a location. But why do we exist? Why are we here? And I want to help you to make it crystal clear that we are here for divine reasons. Um, for holy purposes um, as we relate to the city that God has called us. I believe that God has called us to these cities around here in the triangle because you live here. You have a zip code here. You, you get mail to your house or to your P.O. box. And <clears throat> literally, when I consider the New Testament, God is constantly at work in cities. Paul constantly went to cities. Um, <clears throat> Jesus went to towns and cities, and so there's something about God's work in cities. Um, There's literally 2.3 to 4 million people in the triangle. It is growing fast here over the last 10-15 years. Literally, God is bringing the nations here to the city, and so so we were just asking these basic questions. As we live in the city, there's Hardness and there's ugliness. There's a lot of challenges living in the city because there's brokenness, there's lostness, and so as we think of passages like in the Sermon on the Mount, and when it says like, "Be salt of the world, be light in the darkness, be a city within a city," what does that look like? And I just want to park it right here and say. Some of the church, when I think of state church, I'm talking broadly, has gone this wrong and we need to repent. And I'm going to show you what that looks like. And some of the church has gone it right. And so I just want to lay it out there here before us to help us think through this really carefully. So there's basically four approaches that churches take and Christians take as they relate to their city. And so listen carefully. Some churches take this position or view. You're a church in the city. So geographically, a church in the city. I touched on this a little bit last week. So this is a church's mindset that you want people to come through the doors, enjoy the programs, and, and you kind of build this, like, come in the church building mentality. And that's where it stops. You, but you fail to go out into the city to love and bless and to serve the city. It's this come and see and come to our place. So that's one view. Um, another v- perspective is churches and disciples today take this perspective of church against the city it 's a us and them mentality it 's like hey yo i 'm Christian and you you know we 're going to put it up it 's us versus you, the city and we don 't like the city, and so we 're going to be opposed to the city and we 're just going to have this us and them mentality. Um, another perspective <clears throat> maybe conservatives or fundamentals take is uh, or they're concerned with, is this, a church of the city, a church that takes it too far, and they compromise, and they sell out the gospel, where there's no distinctness of salt and light within the city, so they basically compromise where the church becomes like the city, and to the point that it joins the city in such a way they, they participate in their sins. Okay, we, we don't want to do that, <laughs> but we want to be a church for the cities, so, what does that mean? We're looking at that um, today, specifically at a Jeremiah 29. But it's really unpacking what it looks like to be a city on a hill, um, light and darkness, um, salt in a, in a dark and corrupt world. What does it look like to live out the shalom, practice and seek the shalom and prosperity of a city, to be salt and light, to influence in such a way that we're going to live out our discipleship call the way Jesus called us to. And so to do this, we're going to basically we're going to ask this question, what does it look like to live among the city in the city but yet not be like our neighbors, yet love our neighbors well? And so, we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 4 through 7. We're going to look at three ways to engage the cities of the RTP faithfully before God with much grace and humility in such a way we're reaching out without selling out. Um, I know some people think we could reach out and sell out, and that's not what we want to do. Um, We want to reach out without selling out the gospel. And so the three ways are this. Uh, Way one, engage by immersion in the cities of the RTP. Way two is engage by intercession. Intercessions for the cities of the RTP, and then way three is engage by investment in the welfare of the cities of the RTP. And so um, so those are the three ways we are to engage. And so this is Jeremiah's counsel to his exile friends in Babylon. I'm sure as they bring exile to Babylon, Babylon is ungodly people. They probably think, okay, these people aren't like us. They don't know our laws. They don't know our ways. You know, why are we here, God? And so Jeremiah is counseling them in a very specific and direct way. Hey, this is not a vacation. This is not short term. This is 70 years. I know you may consider these people to be not your friends. In military terms, you might call these people your unfriendlies or the enemies. But Paul is speaking, um, well, Jeremiah is speaking to his people and his time, and God, through the Holy Spirit and his word, is addressing this here and now with us today in the very practical ways. Way number one, engage, engage by immersion into the cities of the RTP. What does this look like? What does this look like? <coughs> yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's awkward. God is literally saying to these, <coughs> to these um, exiles, yes, It's time to get comfortable by being uncomfortable. Um, But I want want to begin with Jesus. First of all, Jesus what? He was in heaven, eternal. He came down on earth. And that's called, he took on human form. And that's called the incarnation. And so I want you to know, I don't know what it's like for God, but this is not a, a simple plan to say, hey, I'm, triune God, now I'm going to come down as one aspect of the, one person of the Holy Spirit, not aspect, one person of the Holy Spirit in the form of incarnation. So Jesus came down, takes on human flesh, so he literally is cloaking his deity in a sense, on putting on human flesh, and so he's immersing himself in the human world, beginning from a divine point. And so in a very similar way, Jeremiah is saying to the Israelites, I want you to immerse yourself in this city for the good of the city and for God's glory. And he gives very specific directions on what this means and what this looks like in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 and 5. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts. So when you see this, understand that thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, every one of you, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylonia. And so in verse 5, it's going to get really practical and explains you know, how are we to live in Babylon. What does it look like? He says to build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. When I read this, I'm like, okay, you know, nope, what's the big deal? But there's a lot being said in, these, in this one sentence. Build houses and live in them. He's not saying... Start your investment in the real estate world, you know, buy houses and have other people live in them. No, he says, build houses and live in them. In other words, care about where you live. When you, buy, when you build your own house, you care about it. Okay? I don't know if you've ever rented a house. You care about where you live, but to some degree, you don't care about it as much. Right, You don't care about it if maybe something breaks, or you drop a few more things, or you break the tile. It's just a little bit of sense you don't care. But when you own your house, when you build a house, and you, you live in that, you care about it. You're, you don't want to break things. You don't want to drop things. You have inherent inerrant care. What <clears throat> Jeremiah, what God is saying to the exiles, is care about the houses you build in Babylon. When you care about your, your living place, guess what? You, you take care of the inside, you ter- take care of the outside, and other people take notice. And if <laughs> you're going to make your yard look nice, you know, other people will care about making their yard look nice. Um, when things break and you fix it, um, others will do the same because what? You, you elevate the standard of living by the way you care for the place you live. If everyone stops caring, guess what? More people stop caring and it gets Worse and worse and worse. So it's very practical. If you care for the home you live in, in this foreign land, it will cause and encourage other people to care about the houses that you live in, that you built. The next practical advice is plant gardens and eat their produce. Real quick, with the houses you built, maybe it's overly obvious, but you have a place to live. So that's good too. I mean, If you didn't build a house, you have no place to live. So you benefit, and those around you are encouraged to live well. And follow and know the one that you follow you, <coughs> as you build houses. When you plant gardens and you eat their produce, I'm asking, he's basically saying care about what you eat. So you know your livelihood is based on the way you garden, the way you take care of the weeds, the rocks that you move out of your garden, the bugs that you're going to treat or whatever. You care about it because what? You know you're going to eat this. So your livelihood is at stake. You want to have a big and large produce as much as you can. So you're going to benefit physically. And as you're blessed, what? It makes you a blessing to bless others in Babylon. And thus you can shine like light and light salt there. But Jeremiah takes it to the next level. And this next level will push you harder. Um, But it's very practical. I want you to see where you live and where you eat. You can be a blessing where you are. It's so practical. As God has blessed you with food, you can bless your neighbors with food. As you care about where you live, guess what? Those around you will also care. Um, I I had a friend, um, there's a time my wife and family were living in Berkeley, and they, they rented a pretty messed up, beat up home. The yard was messy and they could have left it like that but in their time of being renter i'll never forget they literally cleared out the weeds it was all weed and the weeds are like you know so tall above the windows they cleared out the weeds they replanted they put new lawn they just made it nice and the inside they repainted it they made it look way better than it was before that was just beautiful they cared and so this next one is a challenge for each one of us and it's really practical i think you're in a foreign land these people are like they're morally different their their spiritual perspective is different and look what he says jeremiah says to the exiles in babylon care about multiple generations it's not like this is you know bite your tongue and lips until we get out of it No, he says, care about multiple generations. How do I know this? Look at verse 6. Generation 1, as these Israelites, these exiles moved into Babylon, he says this. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives and have sons and daughters. So what does this mean? Um, I'm going to say it's implied that he's speaking to men. Men get married. Then be fruitful. It didn't just say have one kid so you can have a super high standard of living, because I'm fearful if I have multiple sons and multiple kids, they're gonna be expensive. All right, I'm talking about our American mentality: too many kids, too much money. I, I don't want many kids. All right, no, it says take wives. All these guys take wives and have multiple generations. What's the point of having, getting married and having kids? If, you're, if you understand it from God's perspective, this. You're raising up a godly generation. You recognize every kid you have the opportunity to sing and recount the stories of God from the little place they begin at, small, teachable, moldable, where the cement is soft. And you're, you're training disciples to follow Jesus. And you're training them not from youth ministry stage, like junior high or high school ministry stage. No, you're, you're, tra- you're starting from preschool. What you're going to say is school once your kids are are born. And so you're beginning with generation one. And so you have this mindset that you're going to invest in your kids in such a way they're going to be a blessing. And so the the perspective goes on. Generation two, they say, take wives... For your sons, so you you get married, have kids. You want your sons to also marry a second generation that they would do what? Have a mindset of a legacy of faith. Allow your daughters to be married so that they would marry and produce kids, and yes, same thing. That they would produce a legacy of faith that would be a blessing, that would be salt and light, um, to their generation. Um, and then he has a third generation mentality that that your sons and daughters that they may their sons and daughters, and that Your legacy, God's legacy in you, doesn't stop there, doesn't decrease. You're not thinking, okay, let's have one child or no children. No, you want the ideas that your children would have multiple children and your kids have multiple children. In many ways, you say, hey, I want to create a whole group, a whole platoon of evangelists that would go out into the world over multiple generations. So yes, have lots of kids and have your kids have lots of kids and allow God's work to spread um, through multiple generations yes, it echoes the Abrahamic covenant um, <clears throat> fulfilled in the New covenant today. Um, so that's the plan A for reaching the city <laughs> back then is the same plan we have today. Plan A is to invest. With a multi-generational perspective. As a church, we are a first-generation church, nailing down our doctrine, nailing down our practice, nailing down our children's ministry, our growth group. It's not one and done just for our own lifetime. We need to think multiple generations. Um, I understand that we live in the south and we have a south kind of bible Belt culture, but a lot of this culture is going away um, as people from what? New York, New Jersey, people from the east, Seattle, they're all moving here, particularly in Charlotte, Raleigh, Durham. And so this church background that we once had in the city is going away. It is changing dramatically. And so I don't want Christians to miss the mark. Um, Many times I think Christians become Christians and they're like, oh, I need to run from the world. Or we want someone who has a lot of friends um, in, in the business or school sector to come to our church. Yes, we want that, but we don't want you to leave your friends or, or, or relatives. We, we want you to continue to live among them in a, in, a, in a salt and light, distinctive way. But some Christians don't get it, and they play this game that... We're going to create subcultures and bubbles, and we're going to play this avoidance game. And so I I, I can think of Christians—they do all these things. They create these bubbles, and I'm just going to live in my Christian bubble. (laughs) Um, There's a place to gather in, well, that we're built up, but it's always about sending back out, right? I have friends that like literally, you know, (laughs) they live in this neighborhood and they're trying to get to work this neighborhood, but they fail to—they don't want to go this way. (laughs) They always avoid the people that they perceive that are godless. They don't recognize that God wants you to interact with this in this world here. And so <clears throat> don't miss the mark and don't play the avoidance game. We are to be what? Salt and light in the world for the cities that God has called us to be in. So that's what it looks like. There's so much more I could say about this avoidance game. But, I mean, little kid song, man. We don't want to hide this light, right? This little light of mine, what? I'm going to let it shine. Not going to hide it under a little bushel or basket, right? Let's let it shine. Um, I don't know if this is a word, but I made it up this week. It's a little bit of Latin or whatever. But I call it missional praxis. Basically, practice your mission. Um, live as a city within a city. Um, earlier, I think last year I taught through First Peter. but for First Peter, chapter two, verses 11 to 12, we get a, a clue, an idea of what this looks like, as Peter was also ministering to exiled Christians. and he says very simply what this looks like. He says, "Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. What? Honorable." So you're supposed to live amongst the Gentiles in an honorable way. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's pretty straightforward. That's what it looks like. So let's break this down um, in everyday language. What does, it look, what does it mean to be a kingdom citizen here now on earth in a fallen world? What does it mean to live for the king of kings and let his rule and reign come through our lives here now? What does it mean to be like Christ to, as he incarnated himself in a human flesh? How do we incarnate and practice incarnational ministry here now in 2022 in the cities that we live in? So let's break it down where we live, where we eat, where we work, where we go to school, where we play so much to say here. What does it look like to be a city within a city? I'm going to try to break down some of these here. Um, and again, the, the, the heart of it is think through the mission of God where you live, work, eat, play in such a way that you're reaching out without selling out. Some Christians are, some Christians are concerned about this statement and uh, we'll hit it on two sides. Some Christians have this perspective that oh I don't want to reach out because I don't want to be like the world and sell out Um, but I want you to know if you're not going to reach out (coughs) you're actually selling out the gospel to the world that needs reaching out does that make sense (laughs) so uh, we need to come and think through what this looks like where we live Very practically, you can can live your life in this way. I jump in my car, I go to work, and I come back. Or I work remotely, and I stay in my room. And I go upstairs, downstairs, out of my room, inside my room, and just isolate yourself. Or you could recognize that God has blessed you to be a blessing. To know your neighbors, to love your neighbors, to pray for your neighbors. I encourage you to think through going to the community pool, if that's okay. Um, Community events. um, To know those around you <clears throat> to walk around your neighborhood to not think you just you think of like your garage is the thing you open and you sneak in so I don't need to talk to you you know park outside slow down water your your plants and stuff talk to people uh, around where you live invest in your city you have 21 meals to eat you can eat them all by yourself you can stay in your cubicle and play your video games on your phone and eat every meal alone or you can think through how do i interact on some of these meals with other people and not just christians only (laughs) christians and non-christians people within the church guests and visitors and also people outside the church it's both and Um, some christians think man i just need to have the best fellowship of all and i'm only going to hang out with christians only man you have missed the boat (laughs) it's both and so that's just what it looks like when it comes to, to work, um, this these are just really things. You're, you're giving 40 hours. Some of you, 50 or 60 hours. Of work. Think through. You know how am I to relate to my peers at work, my boss, the authorities in my life? Um, how do I write to those who are new? How do I think through? Am I going to work remotely or go in person? And then when there's opportunities to eat and come in the office, think through your interactions. Um, <clears throat> In both ways, how do you build friendships? Um, There's ways to build friendships, even online and through Zoom. But just think through it. I think I've been thinking really hard in my life. Like, it's been easy to say, hey, I go to the office. It's upstairs. It's in the attic. But I realize I've been interacting with less and less people. And I'm like, is this what God wants for me? Do I need to make some changes? I play basketball with a Christian group. Um, though some are non-believers but I'm seriously thinking about telling these guys I'm no longer going to play with them anymore because you guys have already are in the fold Um, there's a whole city another group that probably will cuss and teach me new bad words uh, in a different language because they pick them up from whatever the TV and movies but maybe I need to be around that to shine in the city and so just think through the mission of God here for the cities um, over the years, I've coached soccer and basketball for my kids. You know, I thought through, do I join the Christian League or do I join the City League? Yes, I joined the City League. And my kids go, wow, this is where I learned all the bad words. But yes, I, but I wanted to know if my kids could stand. <laughs> um, can they respond appropriately to others that they're relating to in the city? And I wanted to know, that how are they going to be tested if I put them in the bubble all the time? moms groups. You could have the moms group, and there's a lot of things and nothing wrong with the moms group, but you can go to all Christians, at all Christian church, or you could think through like we could set up our own moms group and say hey, we're going to invite our friends and our own <coughs> group, or we could join a city's, a city's mom group a- as a group of moms and connect to the city incarnationally in that way. I'm not saying one is more right or more spiritual than the other, but at least think through the mission. If your whole life, 100% of your life is in this bubble, I think you missed it. There's enough that you got to think, am I being built up and encouraged in such a way that you're able to influence those around you? As you think through school, work, education, and the way you live out your discipleship. There's not one way or one right way, but I want you to think through it and process it through as a community and evaluate every sector of your life. Number two, way number two. Um, Oh boy, time-wise. Engage by intercession for the cities of the RTP. Um, <clears throat> Jeremiah gives them very practical advice. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. This is very deliberate where I sent you. I believe every one of us is sent by a divine God, by divine appointment into exile. And this is the key here. Pray, circle that to the Lord on its behalf. Some of, some of us can have an attitude. I just hate the city. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm not even going to pray for it. But here's a command to pray for the city and how do we, how are we to pray for the city? We'll hit these briefly and quickly. but pray nationally, for the state, for the nation, for city leaders. Um, pray for President Biden. pray for our VP. Um, I, a lot of you guys know I am from California. I lived there for 43 years and but many of my California friends are, are moving out of the state because they're Fed up. They're tired of Gavin Newsom. And I don't know what to think about this. I think we still need light in California. Every Christian can't just leave. Some people, we still need people to stay in California and to pray for Gavin Newsom's salvation. So there's different reasons. I understand that and think through them. Pray for churches to be healthy. Pray for school. Pray for businesses. Pray for Duke. Pray for NC State. Pray for Wake Tech. Pray for Peace University, UNC. Pray for Google, Amazon, Epic Games, Leto, Costco, Harris Teeter. These businesses, I I know some people, they they get it. They use business as missions. What if these universities and and Wake Tech uh, (coughs) schools, what if the leaders (coughs) of these schools become Christians and they want to make a difference and change? The whole tone, tone of these schools would be different. When we lived in Berkeley, we would constantly pray that the Chancellor of Berkeley would become a Christian. That would be amazing. It would change the whole tone of the school. Would the Chancellor of Duke become a Christian? That would be amazing. And then they see their universities as a business for missions. Pray for the policemen, the firemen, the EMTs, your schools. Many things we could be praying about. Pray for your neighbors and for people. Pray, pray, pray. It's a scary thing when the church doesn't want to pray, but rather just gab and likes listening to themselves. It's scary, and this is where Satan loves a lot, when you just love your doctrine more than you love Jesus and people. Loving doctrine (coughs) (coughs) of its own end is not its own end. When you love doctrine, it should cause you to love what? What? ultimately Jesus, and to love others more. If it ends and just makes your head fat and you just want to talk theology to each other, you miss the purpose of your Bible. So, yes, we want orthodoxy, we want orthopraxy, but we also want orthopathy, right? We want a heart and a practice of loving the Lord and loving others. So pray toward that end. Um, I'm going to skip the, the next quote but maybe I won't. <laughs> it's too good to skip. John Piper says this, Pray to the Lord on the behalf of your city. Ask for great things. Ask for great and good things to happen for your city. Ask that they happen by God's power for His glory. Never lose sight of the ultimate good that the city needs. A thousand times more than It needs material prosperity. What is its ultimate, most important need? Christians care about all suffering, practical suffering, human suffering, all kinds of suffering. But Christians, we care about what? Those who will suffer eternally. That's the greatest danger that every faith, every city faces, that they will suffer eternally one day, unless what? We are going to indeed be salt and light of the cities and in the cities and before the cities uh, a couple years ago we had a friend speak of, speak on um injustice and social justice but the final point the speaker made is one day that god will have what ultimate justice one day and are we ready for that final justice day of reconcil- reconciling? Are we ready for that? Way number three, um, engage by investment in the welfare of the cities of the RTP. Verse seven. Verse seven. Seek the peace or seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray for, pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will have welfare this is the key i want you to focus on for in its welfare you will have welfare so what's being talked about here if you simply love your neighbors as yourself guess what As you care for the city that you live in you'll benefit <laughs> um, <coughs> in, in very simple in a very simple way um, you might be saying, like, Gary, how much am I to love the city? How, sh- how much should I care? What does it mean to be for the city? And I'll answer in this way. There was a time before you became a Christian, you were an enemy against God, against a holy God. And sometimes we look at the world, Babylon, and the city, that, that's the enemy. We don't want any of that. And you find your heart not for the city. But I want you to know, when you were an enemy against God, God was for you. In your defiant, in your rebellious, hell-bound heart and mindset, God was for you. How much, how much was he for you? He sent his son for you while you were a sinner. He sent his son while you were a sinner dead in trespasses and sin. That's how much he was for you. And he wants you to take this, Become a disciple and be for the city in the same manner and the same passion to be for the city. And so as you interact and invest in the city and love the city, guess what? Our lives, our reflection of the gospel points those around us, what? To the one who paid the price for our sins and for theirs. The one who paid it all to free us from sin who wants to do an amazing work to renew the cities. Every city, top and bottom, marriages, um, families, cities, schools, churches. He wants to see renewal on every level. There's so many practical ways. But if I were to leave some applications, um, we, as we engage the cities of the RTP, as we immerse as we intercess, as we pray, as we invest, you might be saying, Gary, I don't care about investing in the cities. And for you, maybe the first point is that this heart for the city hasn't been given to you yet. You you are dead in sins and you haven't been made alive to Christ. So the first thing I want to call some folks here is repent of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ. Become a citizen of heaven so you know how to live on this earth the way God would have you. Some of us need to change and have a revision and change our perspective here on earth. Earlier, I talked about how Christians have truncated their vision for living out the gospel. Sometimes we think our Christian life is just three hours on a Sunday morning. In the other six days, I just live however I want. Some of us have a wrong perspective in which they relate to the city. I'm a church, with, I'm a church in the city. I'm a church against the city. I'm a church of the city. No, neither one of these three are we called to. We are called to be a church and disciples for the city and so there's areas that we need to repent in the ways we've lived out our christian lives up to this point my hope is that we would take heed of the gospel fully and that we would relive and readjust our gospel call for the city and it could come in a one of many ways um, and we can't do every one of these but think through some of these or at least one of these. We could partner with our school. Um, We could join a pregnancy center. We could join sports teams and be an influence there. You could join Apartment Life and minister to apartment. You could join Dream Center and reach out there. Um, The college students, Brody, there's a clipboard here, are going to hit NC State campus, and there's opportunity to pray for NC State campus and invite people to BOBA and to have lunch. And so we'll pass this out. Phoebe, can you work the form around? Uh, So this is practical application. Um, You can think through starting a business. You can say, hey, I am a dentist, and I'm going to start a business. And you can say, hey, I'm going to do it the worldly way. I'm going to, as a dentist owner, I'm going to make the big bucks, and I'm going to hire a whole bunch of people underneath me to make the little bucks. Or I'm going to do it a whole Christian way. We're going to narrow the playing field, and we're all make around the same amount. And we're going to bless this business and bless others and use our business, what? Help people and talk to them about Jesus as I perform dental work on them. You think through business as mission. Um, some people are saying, hey, you know, people are marginalized, they need jobs. Hey, maybe amongst here we start our own business in such a way that it benefits others. And so there's many ways to engage the cities of the RTP. Um, This is called the killer long pause. All right. I want you to think about how we're investing our life in light of the gospel for the city. This is so important in some way. Right, the mentality is we can't just say we're going to run from the city To be for the cities for multiple generations. What does that look like? Jeremiah is super clear. Multiple generations. Your kids, your grandkids. Your church community for multiple generations. How do we set that up? For multiple generations. It begins here. It begins with you. And it begins with me.